You do that for six to eight weeks, your head would spin on how better your communication skills will be, how better you will understand the market that you're recruiting in. All of that will translate in your writing and your on-screen persona and your market and the people who you're trying to influence will notice that. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Joe Mullings. Joe is the founder and CEO of The Mullings Group, the world's leading search firm in the medical device industry. The Mullings Group has completed more than 7,000 successful searches with more than 600 companies in the medical device industry. Their clients include multi-billion dollar companies like Johnson & Johnson, Google, and Siemens, as well as emerging startup companies that are bringing futuristic technologies like surgical robots, telerobotics, artificial intelligence, and deep learning to the market. Recently, Joe was appointed Chief Visionary Officer of MRI Networks, which is the third largest executive recruiting firm in the world with 400 offices globally. Joe also leads the way when it comes to leveraging content marketing, in particular video, to become a recognized authority in your niche. Joe, welcome. Thanks for being here. Mark, thanks for having me. I truly appreciate it. Fantastic. You and I were just chatting before uh, we hit record there. You're actually opening an office in the UK, I believe. Indeed. Uh, we have uh, had a presence in the UK with uh, two recruiters for a little bit now, uh, probably about six, seven months. And we were waiting to open up our brick and mortar after the UK uh, opened up uh, the borders, if you will, and allowed people out of their houses. And we... Uh, had just opened up in Newcastle, had our, uh, I think two or three weeks ago, our brick and mortar opened up there. And I'm pretty proud of it. Got two fine young men as our uh, core team and we're up and running. Fantastic. Well, you know, if you ever get over here, it'd be fun to meet up. That's about an hour and a half from where, I, where I'm based. So I'm going to be there um, in mid-September. I'll take you up on that. I think I'm going to take part in uh, Wreckfest, which is going on okay. over there. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. So look, um, we'll hopefully talk more about your UK office in, in a bit. The most important thing I want to learn from you is about what you guys are doing with video, with multimedia, and becoming uh, a real authority within your space in order to really dominate your, your market in medical devices. And... The reason that is important, I think more and more companies are realizing how beneficial this can be, but you guys are way out in front in terms of what you're doing. So could you please describe what you see as the benefits of using digital branding for recruiters and clients of recruiting firms? Yeah, sure. So the the differentiation is, um, you know, you look at you look at the world of work and talent access, and I use those two words interchangeably, is um, organizations right now across the, the globe are continuing to operate in a legacy mindset of how do they attract talent? And historically, a talent has been attracted by you have an opening, you put an ad out. In the old days, it was in a newspaper. Um, now it's postings online, whatever your platform of choice is for today, let's use LinkedIn. And so you have an opening, you put an ad out and you get the best person that'll apply for the ad in that 60 day window in time. And so you're using, uh, an assumption of, uh, I'm going to get only the best person available in 60 days. 
I'm going to get only a look at the people who are applying and highly likely the A players, the, the people who really move the needle for an organization, aren't looking at want ads, aren't certainly looking for a job because they're heads down busy solving major problems. That arguably is the person that you want to hire in your organization. So we realized that I need to have my bat signal on 24-7, 365. And we had come up with this concept of hum, sing, and shout, where for our clients, we have a constant hum going on in regards to content around who they are. And every once in a while, when we know three to six months in advance that there's going to be a need for a head of sales, a head of marketing, a head of engineering, we'll start to increase the message out to the marketplace. And then finally, in that 30 to 60 day window, we'll start to increase that to a shout cadence. And why is that important? Because our clients oftentimes once we teach them that you need to have an ongoing hiring brand out in the network, out in your area of expertise, that you want people following you almost as if it is entertainment, infotainment around who they will become out in the, the career landscape, if you will. And we address four basic pillars is tell me about the market that your company or your service is in and why it's a great market and why I should hang my hat on it over the next four years. Then tell me about your product and service on how it addresses that market. Then explain the leadership because who I hang out with is who I will become or who my network becomes. And then finally, the mission. And why do I show up in the parking lot every day? Um, not for the product I make or the service I put forward, but what is that mission that has me show up every day? So. That is what we put together in a multimedia approach to our clients, as well as our firm and the industry in general. Amazing. So how did this originate? Like what, what was your starting point in order to create this um, level of service for your clients? Like most um, discoveries by accident, right? So okay. we had, uh, we had, joined in with Google and Johnson & Johnson um, about six years ago to build out what at that time was the most sophisticated surgical robotic platform in the world. And um, we had won the contract. It was a very, very large contract, over 300 people um, in Silicon Valley. And they wanted people out of you know Facebook, uh, Tesla, uh, other surgical robotic companies. However, we weren't able to show the robot. We weren't able to show the inside of Google. So uh, we had to come up with a way at scale, you know, if you do the math backwards and you're in search, to hire 300 people, uh, that could be in excess of 5,000 interviews uh, when you do the math backwards. And so there was no way to make that many phone calls in a two and a half year time period, you know, realistically at this level. So we thought about leveraging the same behaviors and, and tactics on social media uh, on LinkedIn. And fortunately at that time, we were in an alpha group. So we were, um, I believe, the first recruiting firm to have a video on LinkedIn. And we developed a storytelling concept around who you will become and why you might be interested in building this product. There were no job postings around it, um, so to speak. Um, and we couldn't, again, show the product, but we talked about what the emerging market was, 
why you want to be in that market professionally. And here are seven or eight of the leaders that are in that sort of um, new organization, and you should be interested. And the intake we got on that was amazing. And that was primarily for a recruiting initiative for the Mullings Group for Google and J&J. So we then realized that that was a tool that we wanted to then share with the marketplace, even if you didn't use our recruiting services, um, that you should be thinking about in order for you to build your hiring initiative going forward. And it's, it's taken off, uh, Mark, in an unbelievably rapid trajectory in the market. Wow, amazing. So is this your, um, your video production company that you're talking about? Yeah, so we started with two uh, recent college grads and two small mm -hmm. Sony handheld cameras and okay. um, uh, a little room. And I think I've got to find footage on that. We just, we just ran across it the other day. And uh, today we're, gosh, we're more than uh, five to 7,000 square foot, a full production facility. We've traveled the world. Uh, we get hired by clients now, even outside of MedTech, to develop um, sort of storytelling uh, about who you will become, why you should be interested in this organization um, that we're representing uh, from a pure media perspective. And our conversations are going on right now with Hewlett Packard, Bacardi, um, others that are really progressive in understanding that the same behaviors that people live in in their personal life could be potentially leveraged for developing career trajectories and hiring initiatives for organizations. One thing, it's an interesting stat. There's something called Price's Law. And this is, and, and for your listeners, this is important to understand and it holds true. Price's Law states that if you took the number of people in any organization and you took the square root of that number. So if I had a, if I had a hundred person organization and I took the square root, that would be 10 people. 10 people are responsible for 50% of the output of that organization. So why is that important? Because if you can attract three or four A players in a hundred person organization, that clearly will change the path of that organization. And too many times, we don't think that through and we settle on maybe somebody who is a six or a seven out of a 10, when oftentimes we have watched, you have watched, you've been in the talent access world, that you can change the outcome of organization by just adding two or three people that are A players. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So Joe, take me back six years or so ago, you got this contract from Google and Johnson Johnson, and you needed a way to be able to hire 300 people within a couple of years um, into a, a new product that was being developed. So it was intangible at that stage. So you focused on the story, the mission, who you'd become by joining, being part of this group that was coming together. And you decided to do that storytelling through video, what, what were the actual assets that you put out into the market? And, you know, and, and you said the, the response was fantastic, but can you quantify that a little bit? Like how much did you have to put out in order to, to make it work? 
Sure. So we put out, and, and I believe they're still online, if you look up uh, Verb Surgical and Mullings, and you can find the original videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We had started with long-form video. Again, this was totally experimental at the time. So we had started with long-form video in the Google parking lot. In fact, the building that Verb Surgical was in was what I was told was where the original Google server was. So that was really cool for that to happen. And so a majority of our interviews took place because Google is pretty um, restrictive on what they allow to be shot inside their four walls, even getting uh, the okay to be in the parking lot uh, and start in front of the Verily sign was uh, uh, initiative in itself. So we interviewed the people who um, were executive leaders. You know, I believe every startup company needs to hire, their first couple hires need to be talent lightning rods, as I refer to them as, is because, and especially when you're starting to go after master's and PhD level people, which are artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, roboticists, they look for mm, the gravitas and the accredit, sort of, they want to see that other smart people went there before them, before they decide to go there. So it's almost an accredited validation of that place is good to go to, even though it doesn't have a brand yet, even though it doesn't have a product yet in the public domain. So we picked uh, somewhere between seven and eight people and interviewed those people. And it started out as a long form video and long form video for us today is like five to seven minutes. And getting somebody to sit in long form and watch it for all that time is challenging. So from there, we started to break down clips, 30 to 45 second clips, added copy to it. At that point in time, LinkedIn only allowed 1,300 characters. And then we would start organically pushing that out. And the traction we got immediately um, was pretty profound. Now, why is that important as a headhunter? Because now we had inbound traffic on these videos to our recruiters. Even when we had to make outbound calls, when we made the outbound calls, we didn't have to spend the first 30 to 45 seconds of that phone call um, explaining who Verb Surgical was, who we were, and why that surgical robotic sort of career path would be a good one for you to consider. So we were able to jump immediately into an educated um, individual who was watching those. We were able to jump right in where the individual had very specific questions that allowed us to go into a deeper level where typically it took, could take you three to four minutes in a recruit call. And that was the start of what we called a demand gen uh, recruiting business where we have not made an outbound business development call in years. And uh, we're in excess of deep eight figures in fees right now based exclusively on that, on our search business. Amazing. So I just want to break this down a little bit. So you created, you did video interviews of some of the seven or eight key people that you thought would be talent lightning rods for this uh, organization that you were building out. And you pushed out those videos organically via LinkedIn. Did you do it anywhere else? We did play a little bit on Facebook, but we quickly found and realized that in general, and at least in our category, um, you know, people, the same person has four different mindsets on social platforms. When you're on a social platform on LinkedIn, you're typically all business and maybe educational. 
And you don't want to see kitty cat videos and uh, grandma videos blowing out birthday candles, right? You, you find it offensive almost if you watch it on LinkedIn. But then when you get on Facebook, Facebook is a mindset, same human mind. Facebook is an alumnus and family feel. So I'm not sure, at least in the tech world, I want to be solicited for a job there, right? But I'll take grandma and kitty cat videos. And then when I go over to Instagram, Instagram's almost like this lush magazine, and it's an escapism. So I don't mind seeing really great pictures, curated content on there, but still really don't want to be solicited for a job. And then Twitter, well, Twitter, I just think is a dumpster fire personally, and it's bubblegum news and people who are not sort of operating with uh, humanity in mind, in my opinion. So we played on those platforms and we realized that we should put all of our power at LinkedIn because that's where the mindset is on education and career development. Makes total sense. So you said you pushed out organically and got a good response. Did you actually then sponsor that content to try and amplify it or was it all organic? So we did not. And, and, and you know, in, insightful of you, we do now because we get much more rapid traction. What we did do though, Mark, is we realized that we had something there. We had a brand build on the Mullings Group companies. So we then from there went into paid and sponsored content. And then subsequently that also led us to developing our docu-series, True Future, which ended up being a tremendous hit in our market. And we traveled, um, to uh, uh, Germany, the UK, Israel, um, and parts of the US for four seasons where we developed a Bourdain-like docu-series that highlighted the people, places, and culture of medtech, um, but it's sort of like the Bourdain docu-series where it was supposedly about food, ours was supposedly around tech and we covered it, but it was really the cultural um, beauty of certain parts of the world. And that is what we threw quite a bit of paid at with no intention of job orders or candidates or any of that. It was all self-financed. And that ended up over about a three-year run to be a tremendous lift for our organization and the industry. Amazing. I'd love to hear more about the True Future docuseries in, in a second. Um, by the way, have you read Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I read it. And then it was fun to listen to on, um, you know, on books on tape, books on, well, whatever it is, because uh, Bourdain reads it. And, yeah, well, it's uh, a it's, wild story. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. Awesome. All right. So I want to just bookend this initial experiment that you conducted pushing out this organic videos on LinkedIn. Do you feel like it's harder to get organic reach on video via LinkedIn now? Like it's when you were doing it, it was really cutting edge. It's a little challenging now. Um, again, you know, I don't care much about algorithms on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn, um, like all, well, not all, all platforms, I can talk about LinkedIn, that they reward good content. Um, and then good content could be interpretive. Having said that though, if it's educational, it's thoughtful. If you put really good copy with your LinkedIn video, short videos, also 
in general, if you put your links within the comment field, it rewards it a little better. Um, if you try and take the viewer off the platform to a YouTube or a Vimeo page, it will penalize you. So you have to be yeah. really thoughtful about what you're doing on in their party. And that's the way we think about LinkedIn is you invited me to your party, even though I'm paying. Um, I'm going to operate in good faith within that party and then try and build my brand within that sort of confines of that party. And then eventually I may take you away from there, but I'm going to do it after I've really established my brand or just add to that with newsletters, retargeting, nurturing, what have you. Mm -hmm. But using LinkedIn as a fire starter, I think from a career perspective and building a search firm is, um, I, I don't think there's a choice that's even close to being second on that. But you have to have a construct around how you do that. Fantastic. Um, when you say construct on how to do that, can you elaborate? Sure. So a lot of people will uh, go on LinkedIn and put out the same type of content. And you have to understand what, what is your, what's your proximal goal and what's your distal goal? And is it billings? Is it, um, is, it, is it scaling your subject matter expertise from the analog to becoming the voice of a category? So let me give you an example. <clears throat> we, have a, we have an excellent client, and, and this is what we did with our firm. So we ran a parallel path. And we took a lesson that we learned from building our brand and my brand. So the firm's brand and my brand. And there's a company called Proximy, which is based in the UK, in London, in fact. And there's an absolutely brilliant surgeon, um, Nadine Hashash Haram. And she's not only brilliant, um, she is the full package. Intelligent, driven, surgeon, CEO. And Proximy is the telehealth company. So what we learned was... You can have subject matter expertise, but if you're only scaling that in the analog, meaning the telephone, right? Meaning one conversation, one point of influence, and that's it as a recruiter, or in Nadine's case, you know, um, one conversation with an investor, one conversation with a potential strategic partner, that's very hard to scale. But if you take that subject matter expertise and you create a digital strategy, and let's put it on LinkedIn for today, and you are then able to take the same knowledge you have on LinkedIn, I mean, off of LinkedIn, put it on LinkedIn, and via long and short form video, thoughtful copy, um, a real strategy to it, and then you start sharing your subject matter expertise in the analog on a digital platform, you can start to become a subject matter leader because that scalability could have 20, 50, 100,000 sets of eyes on you a day. And then over time, if you educate, infotain, right, and 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 um, uh, 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 well, let's just call it educate and infotain. If you do that over time as a subject matter leader, you can eventually become a voice of your industry, and that's what happened to us. We became a voice of the med tech industry, and now what we do is we prop that industry up without any benefit, intended benefit to us directly. And the same thing with Nadine Hashash Haram and Proximy is our guidance to her, and she's a client, was share what you know, prop up your industry, become a leader digitally, meaning at scale on digital, 
and then eventually you'll become a voice of the industry. And today I believe, and confirmed by those in the telehealth marketplace, Nadine has become the voice of the telehealth industry. Um, and, and, and that's the strategy. It's a long strategy. It could be an expensive strategy and expensive not meaning economics, expensive meaning thought, energy, um, good content. Those are, everybody has money, but not everybody will have the discipline, the strategy, the thought and the selflessness that's required to become a voice of an industry because you can't do that with selfish, selfish intention. I love it. I want to find out more about this in a second. Uh, discipline, strategy, thought, and selflessness. Um, so what happened to your Google project, your 300 hires that you were contracted to do? That was We, we knocked that out of the park. Um, and, and with that, we became known as the firm to go to in the digital surgery world. Um, so uh, that contract um, was north of, I think, $4 million in search fees. Um, and when we built this ecosystem around that, anything that had to do with the digital, digital surgery, surgical robotics, telehealth, predictive analytics, um, we became known as the platinum standard and the connector in that industry to the thousands and thousands of experts in that. So invariably, um, I knew that that surgical robotics market was a hot market. And I knew the adjacent markets to it was where all of humanity was going. Connectivity, digital predictive, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning. So we have become the premier firm in health tech, med tech across the globe in that space. And we are generally regarded as the go-to. And we also have clearly become the voice of the industry when it comes to talent and even insights that our firm has been invited continually to industry shows to sit on boards. And I've not seen that as headhunters before. Give keynotes um, at companies like Medtronic to their top 100 supplier program. We just came back from Southern Cal and Houston, Texas, um, as, as either board members of major industry shows and influencers outside of being recruiters. Amazing. So the, the visibility and the impact that your video strategies have created for the Mullings Group have led to further opportunities so it just builds momentum. You're then speaking at conferences. You're invited to be part of panels. You're uh, in, interviewed by other media and so on. Um, so if I understand this correctly, Joe, you, you created this strategy around video content for that particular project. You then created a, uh, a company to provide that to other firms in order to assist them with their talent access. And is that company, the Dragonfly Stories, is that what that is? Has that's become? right, that's Dragonfly Stories. Okay, so that's the production company and even companies outside of med tech, health tech are approaching you about leveraging your video production know-how and this process you've, you've built. Um, but tell me about this docu-series. How, what was the motivation behind that and, and, and what did that involve? 
Um, yeah, so True Future, and you can find it on truefuture.tv. Uh, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of the team we put together. I'm proud of the um, storytelling and production value. It's really world-class. So I've been in um, search for 30, coming up on 32 years, and med tech for almost 30. And I'm an engineer. I'm a geek by nature. Um, and I love what the entrepreneurs and, and 80% of our book is towards emerging tech startup companies and med tech. And I've always been fascinated by these inventors and these entrepreneurs who are building devices to save lives and or extend lives and or increase the quality of life. And they're these unbelievable creators that are driven by something much, much bigger than the dollar. Um, and as I helped build these companies, you know, I was like, these people's stories are amazing. Uh, and, you know, of course, we all fell in love with Anthony Bourdain, or those of us who had any sense of, of adventure fell in love with Bourdain. And there was one day where we were just, I was just looking at it, and, and one of the people I work with go, you know, did you ever think about going on the road? You've got a personality. You've got this sort of Bourdain-ish feel to you. What about doing something like that? And, you know, I chuckled at first, but then I looked at it and I'm like, there might be something here. And so um, we had played around with the idea and a very good friend and customer and client, Dan Kasperzik, called me from Flagstaff, Arizona one day and said, I know you're thinking about doing this show. I've heard you talk about it. Why don't we do the first one in Flagstaff? Uh, I said, Flagstaff? And as I thought about it, I was like, if I can make this show work in Flagstaff, I can make this show work anywhere. And so we went to Flagstaff, watched season one. It was an amazing adventure. The people, the geography, the technology, and med tech, the stories that were told, um, that was the launching off point. And I knew as soon as we walked out of there, I think day one or day two, and I saw the shots from the day and the crew working together and the ballet that takes place when you do, you have 14 people on set. I'm not talking about two little cameras. I'm talking about Hollywood style uh, uh, type team, but done with like, they're all Navy SEAL badasses. And so what we were able to do for one fifth the budget, and please go watch season one or two or three or four, what that team put out was amazing. So that's how that started. And it just became wildfire. And the industry loved us for it. They knew we were propping up the industry. Uh, the exposure it got was phenomenal. And uh, the business, which was non-intentive that we got out of it, was um, wonderful as well from search business. Amazing. So when you say propping up the industry, could you explain what you mean by that? Sure. So I have a saying that, you know, you should give, 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 give without the expectation of anything in return in life, but mm. be sure to be standing in plain sight when somebody needs something. And, <laughs> and, and, and that philosophy has served me really well. So I love the industry I'm in recruiting and I love the industry I'm in med tech and health tech. I really do. I'm, I'm passionate about both. And so I thought that the industry needed to have a story told about it. For, for, for grads that are coming up, for young people who aren't aware of STEM programs, 
for the underserved, the underprivileged in inner city that don't get a shot on goal or not even aware that it might be more valuable to write computer code to save your grandmother's life because of a surgical robot than to go to work at a company and keep somebody in a browser for another 48 seconds. I just think there's a higher calling there that there's a responsibility to, to let people know that this is a career path in the med tech, health tech industry. So we wanted to prop up the industry without looking for anything, a job order, a candidate, or, or any, any driving reason at all. And I knew that if our intentions were pure and our product was good and we executed, that the industry would look at it because they're really good people, really good people. Um, they would in turn say, we know you're doing something good for the industry. We know you're propping us all up. Um, when we need something, we're going to go to you first. Now, I don't think you could do that in the banking industry or to lawyers. So I apologize to bankers and lawyers up front industry-wise, but the med tech industry, every single med tech person can go to another industry and get paid more money. But they stay in med tech because they know what they're doing is important work. Mm, interesting, interesting. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I wanna encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You had four keys to making this work, which are discipline, strategy, thought, selflessness. I guess you've addressed the last one, which is you need to be going into this, not what can I get out of it in the short term, but really taking a longer term view of, of course, it is going to be beneficial to you ultimately, but um, the, the first um, intention is let me serve, let me uh, build or prop up my industry, as you put it. Um, what's the... I think I understand the strategy bit. What, where does discipline and thought come in? Well, you know, you got to think things through. It's it, it's okay to be reactive to things, but you've got to be thoughtful as you look at the service or product or or journey you're going to be on. There's no possible way to have a four year plan with a high fidelity to it in year four. You just it's not mm. possible. What I do think you need to do is you need to think about why are you going to do this in the first place, right? What, why, why are you 
being driven to do this because whatever you're picking to do is going to be really, really hard. So just make sure you're 100% committed to moving these big rocks in your life because there are going to be more days than not that you're going to wake up and be like, man, I am tired. Man, I just got totally sniped. Man, I got bashed online. Man, I just, I ran out of money. Where am I going to get more money from? And if you're not 100% in, in a thoughtful fashion, you're going to quit because this is going to get really, really hard. And I, I, I find that too many people try and serve too many um, masters or paths in their life and, ending, and, and end up wondering why they didn't get to where they wanted to go. And they chase too many purple squirrels. Mm. And if you're going to go ahead and commit to something and, and, and put a big load on your shoulders... You better damn well think really deep and really hard about the darkest days. And if you can't imagine yourself getting up out of bed and putting both feet on the floor at a minimum on the darkest days, then you need to reevaluate the people you're going to pull into your mission, the family members you're going to pull into your mission, um, the future self, your future self that you're pulling into that mission. You really should question that. Because otherwise, then it's just a whim and a, and, and, and a, and a, and well, a, people and a, jump and a, on the trend. They go, oh, video, like we should get into video. And they, they jump into it and then realize it's, there's more to it than they expected. And then it just fizzles Well, you out. know it. You got editing, you got posts, you got, and, and you'll put out something and you'll get like nine people looking at it. Or you'll get somebody <laughs> taking right. a pot shot at you from left field. Or be right. somebody who's like, you, what do you want to be a movie star now? I thought you were a headhunter, right? And so it's really easy to have all these things come at you. And, and again, that's just some of it. And, and, and looking for an ROI, and, and it's the question, and you haven't asked it yet, and thank you, but we'll get, I'll bring it up. It's like, what's the yeah. ROI, Joe? Yeah. And I'm like, well, on what time frame is always my answer? Like, what, next week or next year or at the end of my life when I'm sitting on my rocking chair? Well, I'll never be sitting in a rocking chair, but I'm sitting at the end <laughs> of my life going, I'm really damn glad I did that, yeah? So, you know, these are the things that you've got to be prepared for. And again, I qualify that by saying, you're only going to pick a couple big rocks in your life to move. And they're the ones that you're going to be most happy about. But make sure that you play through, you know, not the awards ceremony, but the darkest days, because those are the ones that'll break you. Awesome. And uh, we're going to get to ROI in just a second. When you talk about the dark days, Joe, like for you, what were the big challenges or the times when you, if you felt self-doubt on this um, particular journey that we're talking about? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is really great. Um, I, I've been pretty blessed to be um, born with almost no amygdala. And for those who don't know biology, amygdala is where um, the core of fear lies, right? So I was born with a very, 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 very small amygdala, meaning that like, I don't think that I can't, there's nothing I don't think that when I, when I put together the great team that I can't do. And again, I don't mean I, but the team. I've been really good at getting um, great teams on our initiatives around us. 
So, you know, as far as dark days, the dark days, there was no dark days. There was lots of challenges though, like economics, you know, each, each, um, each season ran us anywhere between 250 and $300,000 like cash, um, no financing, no sponsors. Right. And so you could look at that and say, okay, my kids are going to college. Uh, there's this car I like, you know, <laughs> so, but yeah. you know, so that's one, you know, you had economic challenges, self-finance. So mm -hmm. that was one, but it was never a question of should it was how, so that was one, you know, the other is, um, not knowing what you're walking into. And to us, that was always, that was always the exciting part of how are we going to solve the series of problems that are going to come to us. You know, we're working with a crew usually one third the size of what, again, once you see what we put out, how are we going to solve these problems? We solve them on the run. Um, you know, there were times that we went into um, certain scenarios thinking that we were going to get shit. And between our, you know, camera team and our um, production team and our post team and editing team, I sat there and I've sat through the screening room and cried at the stuff. It was so good when it came out. And so, you know, the challenges were, um, were, were not daunting. They were just like, where are they? What are they going to be? In other words, we didn't, we didn't um, create challenges in advance for ourselves thereby, you know, it becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. They were always, mm -hmm. we're going to have challenges. We don't know what the hell they are, but we have such a great team that we're going to MacGyver them or improvise and get our way around them on the back end of that. And, and you only have outcomes. You either have optimal or less than optimal outcomes. We never process by win or lose. We just process by, it's an outcome. It's not where we're going to end up. And I think that's a powerful mindset. I agree 100%. I like that mindset. And um, so let's talk about ROI then. What has been, I mean, you've already alluded to it in the sense that you have had an influx of, you haven't made outbound business development calls as a, as a, as a business for you know, quite a while. Um, but what has been the measurable return on all the yeah what's the, the, the score what the what's effort? the score in the bank account everybody wants to know right so yeah uh so you know look five years ago we were 2.5 million this year we'll be probably run rate north of 12 million in fees so that's one right. um the other is we're a much deeper um broader organization with a production company that's a revenue generator and um, when I think about revenue generator, I also think about, that's like number two or three to me. Our production company is a playground for each of the teammates. Like what happens in this studio in 160 studios in Dragonfly? I never, I've said this before in a podcast, I'll say it on yours. I have never balanced a checkbook in my life. And what that means is money is never a driver. It is what game are we going to get to play on what field and 
hopefully we've never played on that field before. This is going to be really fucking cool. Sorry, beep that, bleep that out. But that's the passion I feel about that. And awesome. so right. number one is, what kind of field are we building for my teammates to play on? Because I am not going to, as the entrepreneur and owner, going to assume they want to play on the same field I do and keep the same score I do. But it's my responsibility to each of the teammates is to create a playing field that they're going to want to get up every day and pull into that parking lot and go, this is cool. I get to do this again today. So that's one thing. And, and, and I've always been driven by, are the teammates um, all like digging what they're doing every day? Because to me, this whole, you know, life, life's tough because you don't get out of it alive. So there needs to be a balance of fun, fulfillment. And again, fun's a little bit of a weak word, but fun happens in the moment. Fulfillment, um, accomplishment, um, doing well for others, being part of a team that does something that's never been done before, you know, that's part of my ROI as well. And I don't mean mm -hmm. to get it too ethereal on it, but I think when you pull away all of the um, stuff, that is what keeps the fulfillment high. Now, on the economic side, yeah, we have other business models now. We're, we're getting other business from clients that are outside of recruiting. Um, we've created a new category, we, we know we have, of talent access. And we're going, again, opening up the UK, we're opening up in another continent, I can't say, uh, or actually another country I can't say right now. Um, so we, we're, we're continuing to broaden our footprint and change the landscape of talent access, which you know also got me into management recruiters as the chief vision officer. And, you know, that's an opportunity that likely would have not happened that, you know, certainly adds zeros to the bank account, but it's not even one iota why I joined that organization. So it creates new opportunities for me and new opportunities for my teammates. Love it. I, uh, that makes total sense. How many people are in the search business at this moment in time, Joe? Uh, we've got a, I think we've got a 16 desk office that'll do close to $12 million. So do the math backwards on that. Amazing. Like, I think you, I read somewhere that your per desk average is around 500K per desk per year, which is insane. It's even higher than that other. right now. So it's gone oh, up. It, it wow. continues to rise. Yeah. I mean, last month okay. we did $1.4 million with 16 people. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're creating an environment where it, it people can really thrive. Um for sure, for all those reasons that you that you just explained. Now, something I want to address though, Joe, which is I, I can anticipate the objection of some listeners who are like, but okay, this is great. I, you know, I can and be inspired by what but what Joe is doing, but we don't have 300 k a year to spend on producing videos. So like we're not gonna be able to do this. Is there a way for smaller firms who are want to um follow your lead to an extent, but maybe not to the same scale that you've done it. Like what advice would you have for people who want to leverage video and content marketing to improve their practice and serve their clients at a higher level? Yep. Great question. So, um, look, you know, I'm a, I'm a football slash soccer player 
um, from way back when. And watching Ronaldo play inspires many, but nobody expects to get on the field and play like Ronaldo, right? But it inspires a kid to get out in the street and play with a, you know, a bunch of rags tied together, you know, romantically putting that picture in everybody's mind. By, by the way, um, I'm not Ronaldo. Well, maybe the Ronaldo of recruiting, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> The, the point there here is, you know, six years ago, we started with two Sony handheld cameras. So, you know, it's not too long ago. So that's number one. Number two is um, where I started, uh, there was not a game book written. We sort of wrote the game book for recruiting using video. And now if I had to rewrite that playbook, I would have, I'd probably hand myself a playbook that would have been dramatically different um, depending on where I wanted to go. I didn't know I was going to be right here where I am today with this, with this, this juggernaut. Um, and it, it probably shouldn't be the goal of everybody else who might want to think about using media. And I use the word media because media is more precise than video because video would might be one of the last things I index towards when I'm building my media machine for my search firm because it's the most expensive, as you know, per minute. However, you should still have video in your media portfolio for your search business um, the same way that if you have a healthy, you know, uh, sort of stock portfolio, not all your stocks are utilities or blue chip or startups, depending on what your long-term goals are, where you are in your life. So I think video is a component you should have in media, but the playbook I would put out would be on the use of media to grow your search firm and then the subsets within that. And video these days, gosh, I mean, I could literally do 90% of what I do today with this realistically. Now, as you, as you know, there's posts, there's editing. And by editing. the way, for those just listening, Joe's holding up his, uh, his phone, right? Yeah. So <laughs> the, 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 the cameras are so good now that the quality of the video on your phone is better than like 10 years ago, what you would need a large camera to do. Well, it's that, and it's also understanding what and why you want to capture something and what you're trying to get done. So, you know, too many people go out there and shoot a video and really don't have um, deep thought on what they're trying to get done. How can they mm -hmm. squeeze the most out of this for their brand, for their client's brand? And so when we do content, I would say, think of it like a wet towel. And I want you to, whatever you shoot, I want you to think about squeezing everything out of that wet towel from behind the scenes, which people love, what we call dirty video, right? Um, you can deploy it on, and if we just look at the LinkedIn platform, you can get stills, you can get shorts, you can get BTS behind the scenes. You can tell the story about your industry around a product, around a client, um, the journey you're on, the, 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 your, your growth. There's so many different storylines that you can squeeze out and then don't underestimate the power of the copy that goes with your video. And that should be your main course and the video should be just the window dressing on your message. And your, your, your copy should not just be your video transcribed, they should complement each other. So there's a whole science and art 
to the use and the good economic use and economics being money and time and brain on how you deploy this. And there's an entire curriculum to be learned about this. And this is what we are working on right now is helping recruiters understand this playbook because it is a playbook that uh, we're happy to share as well. Fantastic. I'll ask you more about that in a, in a minute. So your use of media to grow your search firm, video is one com element or one stock, if you like, in that portfolio. Copy is a, a critical piece. What are the other elements uh, that fall under that banner of media? Sure. So when you think about media, it's long form video, short form video. You've got copy, you've got stills. You know, one of the things, if you follow me on LinkedIn, we have um, we, we, something we call a scroll stop. We, we came up with that word a couple of years ago. And um, it's just usually a picture of me in a situation, either in studio with a client. Um, uh, uh, those are usually the two. And it's treated a very specific way that you know it's come out of our studio. Uh, and so, you know, that is a, um, a piece of quote unquote media that gets you to stop as you're flying through your scroll. Then we have, am I telling you a story about personal development? Am I telling you a story about leadership? Am I telling you a story about, um, the robotics industry, the med tech industry? Am I telling you a story about where that market that you have a career in, where is it going to go? Where is it going to be three years from now? why you should listen to our firm as to what we believe is gonna happen in the market and how you may wanna cater your career choices over the next 36 months because of that's where, when the music stops at that moment in time, you better have a chair to sit in. That's all part of media. So the storytelling part is as critical as the delivery system, which are the simple parts of the camera or the pen or the keyboard, if you will. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I love that. Thank you for describing that. Um, so as to the discipline part of your equation, Joe, I uh, let me tell a quick story. In my coaching group, we're real advocates of leveraging video and media via LinkedIn to grow your personal brand, to grow your search firm. And um, I think people buy into it intellectually, but then only a handful of people really grab it and and run with it. So shout out to one guy and I'll uh you'll be interested to see what this guy's doing. His name is Martin Hanfield. He's based in Montreal. And he's um he's taken this concept. He's been very consistent and he's putting stuff out there and he just keeps getting better and better and better. Higher production values, a lot of thought goes into it. Um, it's fun and he's kind of building this brand for himself as the uh, pirate who headhunts a players for tech startups. And um, however, <clears throat> what I see the mistake a lot of people making is they'll make a couple of videos and then they don't get an immediate like hit or they're like, they don't get the views they were hoping for. They don't get the attraction. They don't, don't get any leads. Now, maybe Martin got that dopamine hit straight away because he got candidates responded to his first video. He had them out on interview within like 48 hours. So maybe that kind of hooked him. And uh, whereas maybe others who didn't get that initial response they were hoping for kind of went, nah, this is too much work and I'm not getting anything out of it. And the two things I say to people are number one, 
you wouldn't go to the gym and work out three times and then expect to look in the mirror and have a transformation, right? That's just not going to happen. It's, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, over the months. If you do that for six months, you will you see a huge improvement. And it's the same with this. You know, it's, 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 a, it's not an instant thing. And secondly is if you want to generate leads on LinkedIn, you need to show leadership and you need to a step up in terms of seeing your role as occupying, you know, occupying or assuming a leadership role in your niche market. And so even if you don't get a short term, you know, job order search or placeable candidate from what you're doing on LinkedIn, um, it will serve you if you're serving the industry and and demonstrating that leadership quality. Um, So the question for you is, what do you think are realistic expectations people should have going into this if they're going to leverage media to grow their search firm and over what timetable, you know, should they be committing to this? Um, Fascinating subject to discuss. And, and, um, I think that question transcends anything of value in life. Uh, how long should you wait until you let a child figure out if it can walk or not? I mean, the good news <laughs> is, is if you let it walk, try to walk long enough, it'll walk, right? Everybody's walking around today who doesn't have a physical disability. So, you know, it's every, everybody wants instantaneous fame and, or instantaneous success. And it's really funny. There's a great book out there called The Millionaire Next Door. And it talks about how, and if you that. haven't, if you haven't read it, everybody should read that. If you're in business for yourself, by the way, um, but but it's it's a slow and steady. Two is more than one. Three is more than two. So so that's number one. Um, number two is too many people out there are comparing themselves to the stars or the upper echelon in the category and or another category that you're trying to you know get into. And so you should only compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That is, that, that's a really important point to understand just in general in life. But if we boil it down to the question you asked is compare yourself to where you were yesterday or last week. And, you know, it's a flywheel. And I, and I will tell you that. And, and it's with anything that we do is as you start to get momentum the progress, the progression certainly isn't linear. Um, I, I won't say it's exponential, but it's somewhere in between. And making sure you're doing it intelligently. So just having activity for the sake of activity um, is also something that needs to be, you know, uh, analyzed. Is there's the creative side, and then there's the technical side, and then there's the deployment, and then there's understanding who you're trying to reach. So there is creative and technical. Um, and then making sure that you're providing real value to the marketplace, not your definition of value, but notice what's going on and what platform you're on. We talked about it earlier in our session is how you act on LinkedIn should be this different than how you act on Facebook, then on Insta, then on Twitter. So if you're looking from a headhunting perspective and a career perspective, you better make sure your content is addressing and you better become an expert, is where is your market going? If, if you want to grow your following on LinkedIn more than anything else you do, is be able to be less wrong 
about the future of where the market's going. So I would say if I was going to be doing this on LinkedIn, I would challenge myself to do three things. One is I would read 15 articles around my industry every single Saturday morning. Be disciplined, grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab whatever, and find 15 articles on your industry every Saturday morning. Then go out and write four postings by Sunday morning that can go on LinkedIn. And you do that for six to eight weeks, you, your, your head would spin on how better your communication skills will be, how better you will understand the market that you're recruiting in, how you will be able then to convey that in the written and spoken word if it's video, and your conversations on the telephone with your clients and the individuals that you're trying to recruit will be tremendously more powerful than who you were before or your competitors. And all of that will translate in your writing and your on-screen persona and your market and the people who you're trying to influence will notice that. And if you compound that as your, you know, uh, sort of analogous comparison to going to the gym, will start to very quickly break away from who you were eight weeks ago. Amazing. That's great. I love how specific and, and practical that is. And anybody can do that. If I mean, well, let's put it this way. If you're not committed to at least do that, then maybe this isn't the right strategy for you. Focus on something else. That's right. Um, there, anything you want to achieve requires some level of commitment. Um, how can I get a hold or how can people get a hold of this uh, playbook that you're talking about, Joe? Well, um, the playbook's a work in progress. Um, I okay. speak about a lot of these things uh, uh, on, on, on podcasts I do. I think I had mentioned to you that um, we're working on the arrangements, but mid-September, uh, RecFest is going on over in the UK. Uh, I will be sharing you know, some of those learnings there. Um, I've got copious notes and copious um, uh, experiments tried and experiment outcomes. So, uh, you know... I'm right now living the uh, playbook out loud with, you know, Management Recruiters Network with the 300 plus offices there and helping firms convert from the pure analog to some digital. And, and by the way, I just want to say this, Mark, before um, people who don't understand what digital does, digital does not replace the telephone. Mm -hmm. So branding does not replace the telephone. The telephone is still at the center of headhunting. What it does is it moves the telephone further, further down the value chain. So let me explain. In the past, when you were a headhunter, and in, in, in a lot of cases, the phone is still first point of contact for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And if I can move that phone down to maybe fourth point of contact, but my first and second point of contact was my branding really well done? Either I'm a subject matter expert, subject matter leader, or voice of a category online that when I call you or my firm calls you, you're like, oh, Joe, oh, Holly from the Mullings Group, oh, Giovanni, oh, Devin. Yeah, I follow you guys. You, you guys really know what's going on in our industry. Well, I just increased the leverage of that phone call dramatically, right? It didn't replace it. What it did was compound my capabilities on that phone call and expedited 
the process for me on the phone with you. That's what branding does. And all you're doing is taking all the knowledge you have already that you had to wait to get on that phone call with and convince somebody who doesn't know you. Now what you've done is you've used digital and branding and reputation, and branding and reputation are the same in my book, to be able to play that card before the phone call. That's all it does. So those out there that are saying, Joe, the phone, the phone, you can't replace the phone. I don't want to replace the phone. I want to enhance my phone activity by using reputation and or brand. So I just wanted to get that out there. And then absolutely. I'm learning that in my playbook with as chief vision officer of MR. Uh, I came in, um, you know, a little over a year ago with guns a blazing incorrectly um, and disrespected um, my narrative around the telephone. Uh, and through that process, always learning that I needed to better position what does brand and reputation on a digital platform do? It enhances the phone and it just moves it further down, but it's like a lever point. The leverage um, gets blown out uh, tremendously more because of it. Absolutely. And if you if it allows you to squeeze more value from that conversation, it's like your wet towel analogy, right? You know, you could have, uh, gets, you know, if you reach someone out of the blue, they're not expecting your call, they don't know who you are, and you can maybe make something happen on that conversation, but your chances are infinitely greater if they already know who you are, it's a scheduled call, or it's one which they are engaged fully in that conversation. You're going to get a lot more leverage from that, uh, from that phone call. That's right. And, and, and what you do is, the, the, what, if you do your job on the, on the telephone and or online, to, to, to all the headhunters out there, I want you to think about conversations um, a few ways. When you have a conversation with an individual on the phone, you're having a conversation with the today version of that person and the future version of that person. Hmm. Okay, so that's one. Think about that bucket. And then the other part of your conversation is you're having a conversation with that person in the role that they're in today, but you're also having a conversation about that person as a sovereign individual, not as the design engineer, not as the sales girl, but as that sovereign individual that they are. The best headhunters in the world, as I dissected the conversations, I realized that is you need to be aware of that. When you're having a conversation, you're having a conversation with the today version of that person and the future version of that person. And then you drop down and you're having a conversation with them in that role. And you have a conversation with them as that sovereign individual they are. And if you keep that in mind on the telephone and on your content, people will respect you and will tell you things that will absolutely blow your mind that you would have never gotten access to before. And if you handle your phone calls like that, and if you handle your content like that, you'll, you'll better serve your market, which will then in turn serve you better. What you just said, Joe, is pure gold. And that by itself is worth the price of admission. So thank you, sir, for getting up at four in the morning to, to do this with me um, and make the time difference work. I appreciate you and the work you're doing. And I've only asked you about 10% of the questions I wanted to pick your brains about. So hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again sometime. I would love to. And uh, this was a lot of fun for me. And uh, please keep up the fantastic work. Thank you very much, Joe. 
Thanks for being on The Resilient Recruiter. My pleasure. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.